0: Welcome, everybody, to episode 23 of Recovery Machine. Today, we have Pastor Ward Draper with us. Hello, Corey. How are you doing today? I'm good, thanks, Nathan. How are you? I'm well. Welcome, uh, Pastor Ward Draper. Do you just uh, prefer to go by Ward or Pastor Draper? What's uh...
1: Ward's fine. I don't need a fancy title.
0: All right. No fancy titles. So no co-host Corey either. We're going with just Corey. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Ward, it's good to have you here. I um Nathan is up in, in Kelowna. I'm uh I'm in Mission now, but I'm from Abbotsford. I've born and raised in Abbotsford. Uh I moved to Mission about uh six years ago or so. Um okay. and uh so I know the community well and know the 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 inner workings of the community and some of its shortcomings and some of its strengths. And and uh, you've been one of the most consistent uh, voices in the discussion of social advocacy and uh, the people experiencing homelessness in that community and uh, have faced a lot of challenges. And I, and I know that it has only gotten more challenging in the last number of years, particularly. So our podcast is coming from a perspective of two healthcare workers who who have experienced addiction and experienced stigma within our community and recovery within our community and, and those challenges, very, very different from the challenges of those who are experiencing homelessness, though, there are some common threads that we have found, particularly with stigma and, and judgment and things like that. So, but we welcome you and we're we're eager to have your perspective and, and help to sort a few things out with, with us, we hope so. Thank you.
1: well good luck with that. But thank you as
3: well.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, kind of you to join us. Uh, we were just kind of doing a, a a deep dive on the internet over the last couple of days there. So I picked up a few things about you here. I'm going to uh, just read them off so people get a general idea and then correct me if any of this stuff is outdated. But you're currently the pastor of Five and Two Ministries yeah. and have been so since uh, 2005. Got a master's degree in theology and culture. And it uh, looks like you've done a few different media projects. Uh, there's a couple documentaries I saw there. Uh, one about you as a preacher on the streets, something like that. Yeah, that, that was quite a while ago. And then another one that looks like a whole story to it as well. I didn't look too deeply into that, but they're both uh, available. What's a uh, street preacher is the one. And the other one is the. At, Chicken the and incident. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. And there's
1: also another one I show up in is, uh, I think it's called The Church in Abbotsford or something like that.
0: Okay. And these are all documentaries, correct? Yes. Okay. So uh, you've done a few other things. Uh, you've been a radio talk show host. It uh, looks like you're a pretty prolific writer. I see a lot of stuff in um, newspapers and various articles across the web. You've been a guest lecturer, and I'm, I'm supposing that that's in theology or... Uh, it's actually both.
1: been in a, a range of things criminology, sociology, yeah, theology, lots of ologies.
0: Ologies, okay. Uh,
1: uh, even with, uh, I've done a number of times with giving lectures on homelessness and talks for UBC doctors in training and stuff like that. So,
0: okay. Yeah, that yeah. that is actually probably a fairly valuable service there because the disconnect, I imagine, would be fairly large. There's uh, a bit of a
3: disconnect, yeah. <laughs>
0: But uh, it looks like, judging by your schedule, you spend most of your time in the Abbotsford area. It looks like lots of time around uh, Jubilee Park and stuff like that, either helping people who are experiencing homelessness or, if you know, feeding them. You, it looks like you do some harm reduction stuff. And your schedule looks pretty pretty consistently uh, heavy. You're, you're pretty much going every day. And then I'm not sure if you take Sunday off or what goes on there. but. <laughs> am i fairly correct and accurate thus far yeah
1: i mean i've been off for the last couple of months just for well i need a lead of absence there's too much going on right now but uh, yeah i'm still that's all i do i just eat and live poverty homelessness issues whatever it is anybody who's marginalized or anybody that needs help that's kind of just just respond as i can and that's what i've been doing for yeah the better part of two decades
0: okay yeah that in itself is you know, obviously that's not something you see every day. And I mean, it catches my eye because unfortunately I see a lot of people who are, especially, uh, they tend to be leaders of, uh, religious organizations. And I, I see a lot of preaching going on, but I don't see a lot of practicing. Mm-hmm. And, um, so there's a, I guess there's always going to be a, a varying degree there, but one thing that I've been thinking about a lot lately, we actually did kind of a, a look into it there a couple episodes ago, but it's, it's how culture and our society has become such that we're very focused on ourselves. I don't know if this is a side effect of social media and a consequence of the disconnection with families or, or what's going on. Are you finding it? I mean, it's got to be even harder if you're in a position like yours where you're supposed to be a leader in a religious sense and an ethical sense and a morality sense. So how do you stay humble when you probably got lots of people coming up to you, and you're know, like, "Oh, you know, you're you're doing such a good job," and you're, you're probably receiving quite a bit of uh, positive feedback, and also, you know, even uh, little media, uh, media appearances and stuff like that. Like, how do you keep that all where you're still presenting the right type of, of uh, leadership to your congregation?
1: Well, for me, one of the one of the upsides is I've got a really bad memory. That's what that helps. <laughs> So I forget a lot of things um, <laughs> so that helps a lot. So people always have to remind me if I've done something, I'm like, Oh, okay, whatever. Right. Um, but for me, it's just, I, I'm a person that's really believes in commitment and, uh, really believes in, you know, your yes being yes and your no being no to the best of your abilities. I'm a guy that really believes heavily in being the first in, last out in leadership Like you said, I mean, there are the the issues for staying humble. I don't know. I just, I don't really, like I said, I just don't, it's not about me. And Mm -hmm. I mean, how trite that statement is. I really couldn't care less. I I just, that's just who I am. Uh, I don't spend a lot of time. I mean, the only thing I think about lately has just been with achievements or whatever. It's just the impact of my academic work lately, which has been confusing me. But all told, it's just about, just yeah just do what has to be done what's in front of you i mean there is no shortage of social issues political issues uh, environmental issues to deal with so find something pick it up and just run with it don't just jump all over the place and i just chose to stick with the idea that uh, the five and two's basic mission statement through what i put together was you know love god love others do that everywhere rinse and repeat like that's just it like do the best you can, right, at that moment. And whatever happens, happens.
0: Yeah, right? yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Just commandment number one, then commandment number two. And if you stick to those, I think uh, Jesus said something about that being like, uh, if you could do nothing else, just uh, stick to those first two, and you'll you'll be in pretty good shape, something like that.
1: Pretty much, yeah, exactly. And I mean, that's one of the problems. We complicate things all the time, right? That's kind of the human thing. We complicate things or we... Uh, trip over fear or, you know, there's, there's so many different things. And particularly with the church, I mean, the biggest issue is that I feel is it seems that it seems to be constantly just so wrapped up in itself and wrapped up in fear, you know, just trying to control things, keep, you know, keep power in in place uh, and not learning how to let go of things and stop being afraid. Because I mean, if you have, if you ever get a chance to, you know, read the Bible from end to end, the biggest commandment that always comes up, the always, the one big statement that always comes up is don't be afraid. Mm-hmm. you got nothing to lose
0: yeah yes yeah. so i i think i'm uh i'm starting to understand that part a little bit better and i i think you're right there i believe also that power is probably the primary thing that uh it's it's human beings most it, it's, it's our biggest weakness i guess it's so easy to for corruption to to get in when power is involved and then yeah if you add fear very difficult to um to live any kind of a life that's even somewhat relatable to uh the Christian framework, I guess you could call it.
1: Yeah, I mean, and it's not even that it's uh malicious or even willful or intentional sometimes. It's just this weird knee-jerk reaction that we need to feel we have to constantly have everything in our hands. You know, when I started this ministry, you know, uh I, I quit a job and I didn't know what I was gonna do. I just handed out socks and sandwiches you know and then, then now we run shelters and programs and you know we got a couple dozen employees and blah 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 and it's like i didn't know what was going to happen i've never had a five-year plan i just said you know uh just you know fuck it and just went mm-hmm. right and whatever happened has happened
0: yeah yeah <laughs> so that and that takes a lot of courage Corey has managed to do that by stepping away from a, a career that you knew that that was a dangerous place for you to be, Corey, and you had the courage to to get out of there and and take a chance. I'm still struggling with that. I'm I'm trying, but I just it's it takes a tremendous amount of courage to step out into the unknown, and that's that is because of what you said. It's uh, people yeah. want to control their environment. They want to they want to know what's going to happen next. Humans don't like the unknown.
1: No, that's very true. They really don't. And I mean, that's one of the problems with the church is we've given up on mystery, right?
0: That's precisely right. correct.
1: Yes, yeah. the Western Church has kind of just turned its back on mystery.
2: Yes, can you yes. elaborate on that word?
1: Well, it's just our we the Eastern side of the church, so the Orthodox end of the world, particularly, loves mystery. They're they're mm-hmm. totally comfortable with that. They 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 they're okay with. I don't know, but the Western Church is just you know I'm speaking in broad strokes, but I mean if you go through you know a, most of the theological textbooks or event, whatever evangelism books, apologetics, It's all about, here are the 12 steps to this. So there's total control. There's no guesswork. You know, this is how you save a sinner. This is how you do an outreach program. This is how you run a daycare program. This is how you do a youth group. We have to have total predictable step-by-steps. There's this absolute terror of not knowing, um, that seems so very prevalent in the Western church. I mean, you walk into a Christian bookstore and it's it's all about how you can maintain control over yeah. every aspect of your existence, which is very contrary to so much of what we find in the Bible. What we yes. find in the scriptures is about just shut up and be still. Like, you don't need the answers. You've got That's everything right. you need and, and learn how to deal with that. And yeah, it can be a bit pat and you know trite in some ways when we take that with the complexity of life. But, you know, there's that big but we have to like just we're not God, we're not Christ. We need to just shut up and do what we're asked to do to the best of our abilities and and allow mystery to be mystery and let let the unknown be the unknown. And that's one of the biggest one of the biggest detriments that's in in the Western church is just that we need the 12 steps of salvation or we're not going anywhere. Mm. Right. Because I mean, the church is so I think it's around. 2500 plus creed statements from churches different ones in north america people just clamoring to have the right answers to tomorrow and today and all this stuff it, to me it just seems insane when we just need to shut up and just try to take care of the person in front of us to the best of our ability we don't need an elaborate statement on baptism or music or communion or whatever it is its just I couldn't
0: agree more. Yeah. And I, I really think that's the key to the whole thing. In fact, I was just talking to my uh, dad about this yesterday. When you look at some of these faiths, uh, like uh, any any of the big five faiths or belief systems, the further along whichever path you're going, the further along that path you get, it's almost like um, you, you reach, uh, I call like an ocean of paradoxes. Mm-hmm. Where there's only, you might know what direction you're going in and you might have some idea of why, but that would be the maximum amount of information you could have to continue further on the path at that point. Because whatever this is that we're in is not designed for us to know everything about it and do mm-hmm. everything perfectly all the time. Because if we did that, it it would defeat the purpose of what we're doing here.
1: Yeah. Well for me, one of the things that's always stuck in my brain since I was probably like twenty, which is you know, it was like, you know, almost thirty years ago now. Uh I'm getting way too old. But one statement from Billy Graham is always like I've not always been a fan of his tactics. Uh I mean I appreciate some of the work he's done, of course, but he's all he said one thing that's always stuck with me has been very important, which was I don't know what the future holds. I just know who holds the future.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's right? that's a good example of uh of what and like I mean, you have. I think, like you said, it's about giving up control of you know at least one or two, or you know, the more control you can give up and and still maintain a a course that you believe is the true path for you and what you're doing in your life. That makes a lot more sense to me.
1: Well, but, I, but that's, that's oh sorry, Nathan. I was gonna uh, say, but that's one of the dangers within the church too, right? There was that language you just used, and I'm not trying to attack. I'm just no, saying. Go it's, ahead. The, the path you choose,
3: mm-hmm.
1: right? The the language of me, right? It's learning how to say it's it's about the language of Christ first, the bigger language, and then the language of we, and then eventually we might get to me.
0: Yeah. Right? yeah so that so seems are- to be ubiquitous to, throughout the, the, the different uh, belief systems as well. Yeah. I, <laughs> I got a million questions already. We better stay somewhat <laughs> focused or you're going to be here for 20 years.
1: Yeah, well, you know, it's all good. <laughs> but it's true, like, we, our language does shape us, right? So when we make our faiths uh, uh, with an I statement or me statements, we start to push our neighbors away, and we start to push the Trinity away. There is places for that, and I'm not saying there isn't, but we need to learn how to speak in the grander language of, of the collective, of the we, of the Trinity, of of community, language that is relational first, And I'm just a piece of that. I'm not the center of it, right? So our language helps liberate us. So the way we speak can help move us uh, unconsciously towards Mm. being more available to our neighbors, more available uh, to our communities, more available to the Trinity, to Christ. uh, And ultimately, it ends up benefiting us anyway. And we Mm. we just don't see it coming half the time, most of the time.
0: Yeah. I mean that that's a very poignant uh, answer to the first question there.
2: <laughs> T- totally. You know, we were Nathan and I were talking about I'm still reading Gabor Mate's current book, um The Myth of Normal and he talks about that our you know our language as it contributes to our outlook that it is world building. Is the mm. is the phrase that he uses that that it, it is it determines the people we interact with, the our successes, our mm-hmm. Uh, all of our sort of, the way we interact with the environment as a whole mm-hmm. and not just, and that, that those thoughts are not just inconsequential.
1: Yeah, you're 100% right. And we, we've lost that, right? We've lost the mean. well, we've lost, Western culture seems lost, has lost the understanding of what words can mean or what they can do. Again, that goes back into mystery and stuff like that, right? It goes back into, how does this work? Well, we're not 100% sure, but it really does do something. So if we have a Christianity that's talking about just me and Jesus, which is the predominant expressions we find in a Western worldview of the church, what do you get? You get a very egocentric, self-driven church. But if we start talking a language of collectivity, uh, of the bigger we, well, what would that do to the church if we spoke language like that? Instead of saying, well, I'm struggling with my faith, which has a real, you know real, real meaning, it does, but what are the struggles of the church let's talk bigger right stop making it so myopic so self-centered yes and i'm not again i'm not saying it's not a place for that there always is a place for that but let's start with the bigger picture first yeah right
0: yeah it's a balance and we're i believe we're mm-hmm. way out of balance right now in that aspect
1: oh oh yeah <laughs> oh yeah it's been interesting cuz I know we like, yeah, I don't know what your time limits are, but I mean, I can give you a quick rundown of something that's really interesting in the church is that we see in the history of the church uh, over the past century was an interesting trend that occurred. Uh, Thomas, what's his name? Uh, Odin? Ogden? Thomas Ogden? Odin? I forget this guy's name right in the second. But he did an interesting study that demonstrated how in the Western world, one of the key elements to why the church has turned into like so self-centered was... Around the turn of the 20th century, the removal of the ideas of the Christian virtue started to disappear from theological textbooks. So particularly things like humility mm-hmm. and meekness started to disappear from theological textbooks. And as we moved through the t- early 20th century and the emergence of psychology, we started to shift to the self. And so the church started to drop those primary teachings of virtue. And started to start focusing on psychological teachings, which again do have validity, but they're secondary or third or something down the line. But we, we've we actually then started to construct our theology around worldviews, not scriptural views. And yeah. that's not to say we don't balance them, we just need to put them in a better order.
0: Well, charity, like the archaic sense of the word, should mm-hmm. be first, if you're going back to uh, the original Charity, hope, and faith are the uh, the top three uh, original virtues?
1: That's uh, one thing. But if you go back to the Gospels, the primary thing is humility first and everything follows suit.
0: Okay. Yeah, that makes sense too because we were going to ask you about uh, that a little bit later. But, yeah, it's all good stuff. Yeah. And it's interesting because you know, it makes me wonder what would have happened if, say, the church stuck to its guns and mm-hmm. remained in that uh, more communal outlook and, and took the focus off the self, would it now be more of a refuge for people who are finding that they're experiencing the negative effects? Like, uh, some, like the, the last two or three generations have had such a focus on them personally that I believe mm-hmm. it's, it's, it, it's making it difficult for them to develop in a, a mentally healthy way. I could be wrong about that, of course, but that's the general sense I'm getting.
1: Well, the the, the the trajectory that we've landed on the Western Church, you know, started around the Reformation, right? It started roughly around there when Luther said, you can have a Bible and you can decide things, you know, and that kind of thing. And we just progressed towards a very self-based understanding, you know, like we moved our our interpretive lenses for the biblical text away to more literalism, more historical, grammatical preciseness, and moving away again from the mystery of the text and using the text as a liberator, uh, well like it's supposed to be. It's it's a weapon of freedom, but we moved it into a weapon of control and violence. Uh, You know, that's a simplification of very complex history. But, you know, the Reformation is a big hallmark of when we started to just close that door uh, on mystery pretty much permanently in the Western world.
0: Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm aware. I'm aware of that departure, uh, I, but I haven't studied it very much. I'm actually just starting to look at that part of of what happened there. Yeah, how? It's very why? Interesting. It, it is very interesting. Now, why is there a guy like you running around who seems to? It seems to me that you've got this stuff just from talking to you for you know whatever five minutes, ten minutes. You seem to have a, an outlook which is very different from any other what do you call it, minister that I've talked to, I guess. Why are you the only one who seems to have pieced this together? What's
3: going on oh,
1: here? I'm not the only one that's pieced together, but the list is actually quite short to be, and it's not some sort of ego system no, or I, ego statement I'm saying. But the reality is, is because the Western church is so in bed and mired and entangled with the world, and not to say in the world's views are bad. They do have a place, right? But it's the order of operations has been screwed up. Mm -hmm. Um, And we're not like, I'm nowhere near perfect on this stuff by a long shot. But it's about trying to understand, I guess, limitations, understanding history. Because what happens in the church, I was just talking to a buddy of mine. he's He's a priest in the Orthodox Church. Is that everyone becomes so entrenched in ideas that make them comfortable.
3: Yes, right. And, that, yes. and that's
1: OK. There's, a, there's again, there's a space for that. Yeah. But in the world of Christianity, there is thousands of rooms to visit and learn from. And so I try to spend my, my time in every room I possibly can. I don't hold a loyalty to evangelicalism or Mennonites or, you know, Orthodox or whatever they may be, because they all have negatives and they all have positives. And the best we could do is try to figure out how to pull the best we can out of all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, instead of just saying, well, this is the way to do it. Well well, no, no, it's not. Like there's actually a, a thousand ways to do it and, uh, and getting over that arrogance because there is not just one choice, right? Because one choice isn't choice, right? That's so right. stop being a fool and, and just admit that you really don't know anything and just keep seeking that wisdom. And that means going outside of the family, not just talking to the church, but spending time with the Sikh community or with the Buddhists or, yeah, yeah name it, hanging out with pagans because mm. they'll show you how to respect nature better than Western Christian will. You know, yeah. like, on you go. Don't be a coward. Yeah. You've got to lose. Mm-hmm. What's the worst that's going to happen as a follower of Christ? You die and what? Do you retire? Like, Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah this just is the way sad. I look at it
0: too. I, I, I don't <laughs> understand the fear of death, but... Isn't it interesting how, what Ward's talking about here could be applied to our current view of addiction on, in the medical field, right? They're trying to take something that's incredibly nuanced and many shades of gray and they've, they've stamped it out black and white because they don't want to get right in there and do the, you know, they don't want to do the hard thing that requires actually, you know, an individual by individual, uh, uh, a different kind of maybe thinking or whatever's required like it's uh
2: and and, and yeah and it like we, we were talking about the other day Nathan that requires authentic ownership of the system and the society's shortcomings
0: yes and we can't have that in a medical <laughs> yeah. system that has to
2: give answers right exactly because if you if you own those things then you're you have to be accountable That's and right. oh my god yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. No, it, and, that, and that scares the the shit out of the medical community Absolutely. to be accountable
1: well it scares the shit out of the entire system every system we have yes. you know power yeah. thrives on binary either or yeah yeah. <laughs> the minute you move into a third way of living they they want to they want to shut you down
2: yeah <laughs> they just do <laughs> totally hmm. so what can I, we, we wanted to ask you about addiction and and the question itself i realize is asking you to to paint with a fairly broad brush but yeah so much of recovery is about and for me in in the earliest days of reco- recovery lots of spiritual questions about like where i stand in the universe and what was missing from my life what what made up the hole within myself those types of questions so that's on the recovery side but what do you see as the spiritual connection with addiction I've heard you talk in, in past interviews about addiction as sort of a relational condition. And is, is that the spiritual, is that the answer to the spiritual question that, that got us there in the first place? Or is there more to it from your perspective?
1: Every single problem on this earth, since we crawled out of the mud is relational deficiency. It all goes back to relationships, right? Our relationships, uh, you know, with family, with our community, with ourselves, Everything is relationally based, right? So, I mean, addiction is born out of relational issues, right? It's usually abuse-related, you know, because there was a breakdown in a relationship there. Uh, financial crisis is a breakdown in a relationship between consumers and, say, you know, an, a, a corporation. You know, everything is a relational breakdown. And this is where, again, when we focus on the bigger relationship, the Trinity and then our community, real, he- real healing and restoration happens nothing ever good comes out of trying to do it by yourself, right? Uh, and that's, you know, that's why we don't get out of recovery. If we try to, I'm going to clean up myself. Yeah, good luck with that, right? Like that is, you know, excessively uncommon. <laughs> that's, that's extremely rare. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, to the point that I really don't know of that ever happening. Every problem in our world is a relational, relational deficit, full stop. And so what's the next step is, well, we need to be vulnerable. We need to be honest we have to drop fear, and then we have to find a way to love our way through this. Right? Like, not tough love, but vulnerable, humble, meek love that's willing to look stupid, that's willing to make mistakes, willing to let mystery unfold. Right? What that looks like? Good luck. Roll the dice. We don't know. Mm -hmm. All again, like I said before, I don't know what the future holds. Right? I just know who holds it. And it's learning how to Live in that space and be okay with that. A- and the best way to live in that space is with others. Right? It yeah. gives you a tangible thing to hold on to, to listen to, to engage, you know, to 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 be comforted by and all these things. It's it's yeah, it's always relationship, first and foremost.
0: Yeah, we're social creatures. It took me a long, long time to realize that I couldn't do everything on my own. Mm-hmm. And uh everyone needs people and it's uh if you don't have some kind of a support system, some kind of a social support system, very difficult.
2: And you well,
1: know that's I, actually it. oh sorry, Corey. I was just no, going to say real briefly you know it, yeah. is that I mean that's again expressed like you were saying within spirituality, right? Even God Himself establishes the relational dynamics of the Trinity as the idea way to do things is together. Even God Himself could, if you're a you know if you're a Christian or you know into theology. God's not an independent standalone guy. No, he's, he's got a support team. He's got a family that he engages with and invites you to that family.
0: Well, right? same like with the, the Hindus are the same way, right? The, mm-hmm. They've got uh, one central figure and then many, many, uh, I don't know what how the, if it's a hierarchical thing or how it works, but yeah, that's I, I've never heard it put that way as far as the Trinity's concerned. And that's a it's an interesting concept for sure
1: yeah, I mean, we see that, you know, like uh, you know if you go through the biblical text, right? in Genesis, in our image after us, it's relational from the get-go, right? Yeah, and, you know you could read the Bible that it, in a way you you if you read the the Bible in traditional historical lenses, which is allegorical and me- metaphorical the first types of reading in the Bible. that's 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 the history of the church. Mm-hmm. We don't do that much anymore. but it's like you could read the Bible in the way that in the beginning, Relationship created everything.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes, I understand yeah. completely. Yeah. yeah.
1: So the minute you fracture a relationship, which happens in the garden, what happens? Shit went south. So what's the answer? Relationship. Get back in your relationship.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so, exactly. Ward, I, and this is not a, a planned question, but I can't help but ask you this. You know, I think as we're t- having this conversation, I'm thinking about Gladys Avenue in Abbotsford. And for our listeners yeah. who are not from Abbotsford, this is the the sort of hub of, of, of homeless encampments in Abbotsford. And it's become, especially in the past couple of years, a very dense um, population. So when I think of when we're talking about the relational crisis, and then I think of the judgment that we put upon people who are congregating in a community and have found a community within. A larger community that has abandoned them in a sense and the 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 criticism of while well, they're congregating and now you got 10 tenths and 20 tenths and now there's 50 tenths and damn it what's next and what is next is a great question and a huge question but there is community there and there's there is at least relation there and i think about the people who don't even have that yeah. and so i i don't know what i'm asking here war but like is the formation of encampments for our homeless population. Is that in fact a stepping stone within itself to getting out of the, the very, very tough situation that people are in?
1: Well, it can be a step to getting better, but primarily it's just the necessary necessary step of having love. Right. And if that doesn't Mm -hmm. produce anything but a sense of safety, that in itself is good. Mm Mm-hmm right? We're trying to impose what we think is better or what we think is the right way. we got to slow our roll on that sometimes, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, I I agree that there's some really adverse behaviors and things that happen in those things. I've seen countless horrendous things. But at the bare minimum, it is a restoration of relationships because many of these people don't have family or they've had very traumatic experiences with their family. So this is a chance to at least experience some form of safety and attachment which is primary to breathing as a human you need to be loved yes even if it looks different than what you were used to or what you think is right it's at least something and that's a great first step and if some people don't move beyond that okay well let's not abandon them because they're not the nuclear family right like
0: yeah that why leads do to... that? why do
3: we impose that
0: Uh, It leads into the next question fairly nicely there, uh, considering your relationship with uh, the people in Abbotsford who are making the rules, uh, your elected officials, the different bodies that you're going to be interacting with, they're all going to have different kind of opinions on what should be done about people experiencing homelessness, uh, etc. And you've been doing this for a long time and in the same area and one of the things i wondered about you when i was looking into the to what you're up to there is how you how you manage to maintain civility in those <laughs> those relationships and how you maintain patience how do you continue to you know because it, it's got to be frustrating
1: oh yeah uh i just maintain by remembering that everyone's just equally fucked just in different ways okay right it's not like <laughs> an arrogant statement but you know the the people who are in power are just as broken as the person struggling with math yeah right we're we're all on the same page no matter what you can deny it till you, you know till you whatever but the reality is we all want the exact same things and we're all just broken people and the only way we're going to figure that out is somehow spending time together mm. like it or not right like it's just what has to happen so i mean it gets very frustrating, of course, working with politicians and power players and business owners. And, and But just recognizing that they're just as broken as the person with mental you know, illness or FASD who's struggling with alcoholism. There is no difference between them or somebody who owns $50 million worth of property in Abbotsford. They all have very similar brokenness. Right. The rest is a little bit different. That's all. So, so it's that's, just
0: Okay. So that in that, when you're finding yourself getting worked up or running out of steam, you just bring yourself back to that and it kind of levels you out.
3: Yeah,
1: exactly. I mean, uh yeah, everybody is equally screwed. We all, we're all broken, right? Like we're mm-hmm. all broken. We're just broken in different ways. Full stop. Right. So some people have crazy addictions to heroin and others have crazy addiction to money. But at the end of the day, it's, chasing after an empty relational void and we have to find a way to love our way back into some sort of connectivity
0: gotcha yeah it makes sense this guy's making a lot of sense Corey I know I know it
1: (laughs) I I just found that this has worked historically you know like this is what works this is what Mm -hmm. all religious texts seem to point in that direction you know Uh, maybe there's something there (laughs) you know (laughs) Maybe, Maybe. you know, I mean, think about anybody who's ever really changed the world in the church. How did they really, like for the better, how'd they do it, right? (laughs) It was always through just loving relationships. Nothing else. Yeah. Everything was secondary, right? So
2: Warden, in thinking about how difficult it has been to try to create some change and, you know, for example, the trying to establish a safe supply in downtown Vancouver with the distribution of clean heroin. I think about years ago in Jubilee Park in Abbotsford when when the plywood encampment was set up. <laughs> yeah. Ways to sort of really push one's elbows onto the table to try to create a change in policy, and sometimes that is what is required is is a little bit of uh, of force there. But mm-hmm. the question we wanted to ask you comes about. You had mentioned meekness as a as a virtue, so. Can you can you speak to us about that about about meekness and its role in in creating change in being a part of the conversation in a, in the approach when you, sometimes you have to be loud and forceful and and push your way in.
1: Well, when those things happened, I mean that was like you know a decade or so longer, and I, I mean yeah. I've changed my views and stuff. At that time, I was probably a little more aggressive than I would be now because I was still trapped in a lot of ways of thinking that in the binary system, right. Mm. And, I, and now I, I think you know what what's produced the most fruit in my in my experience has just been as 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 one dimensional as it sounds it's just finding the loving response so when I was younger I was yeah I was a lot more say militant in some of my approaches and I recognize now that it seems a bit foolishness because it did produce some change but the most the greater amount of change I've ever seen is just by simply a loving presence and, and I think if we keep doing this system of hitting every time they hit us, we perpetuate the cycle. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's what happens on all social issues. Push, push, push back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And so little changes. I'm not right. saying there's no change, but I have found so far in about 25 years, total of ministry and training and school and all that stuff that I've done what's changed the most was had the most impact for permanent change is being a loving presence. So how to do that, these complex things, it really is again, that nuanced situational thing. I don't know if I would be as loud and belligerent anymore with protests. Cause I mean, when we were doing the harm reduction stuff, you know, we had marches and protests. We, you know, we uh, dumped like 50,000 needles at the feet of Nigel Murray at Fraser Valley, uh, Fraser health board meetings. And mm-hmm. I don't know if I would do that anymore. Yeah, I I don't. I think I'm mellowing with age. But what I'm finding is, is truly when I talk to people, what's changed their lives, just being there, being a loving presence. And how would that translate into a protest? Again, I think it's situational, but I think it's doable. It's trying to find that other way that's outside the black and white thinking. Because you know it's the, you know the Gandhi thing, and I find an eye makes you blind, and this is what we keep doing with these issues. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. this has to be happen now, or this happens now. How do we find that third way? And that third way is found in the we instead of the me versus you, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so it's, it's about that moment. How do we create those moments? How do we enlarge those moments? How do we create those moments?
0: You know, yeah, and you it has to be found without fear too. So That's it takes uh, some kind of a you know a leader to the extent of uh whoever you want to name jesus i guess in this example <laughs> who yeah. uh to to show without fear that that you could still that there is another way and you don't have to fall into this binary like what the america is disintegrated into currently it's so polar it's preposterous
1: yeah and it's a challenge because again it it, it calls for that mystery it yes. calls for that unknowing right like I mean, I've had, you know, probably thousands of experiences in my life where that's all I did was just a loving presence to solve a problem. Mm. And then, you know, a decade later, they're like, everyone's like, this, this, this and, this, and this, and this, and this, this happened because just that one moment. And you're like, okay, I didn't see that coming, right? Like mm. countless times that's happened. And I found that that produces much more long-term, permanent, healthy results for everybody. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't through some sort of calculated battle plan. It was just presence. <laughs> it was just being.
0: Yes. Just trying yeah.
1: to, to love through whatever the given complex situation was.
0: Yeah. that's I've recently had a realization to that effect. I think I was viewing everything as a battlefield for a long time. Mm. And uh, wondering why I was angry and not getting results. But I think I understand now.
1: <laughs> getting to, Yeah. Yeah. Right. Because one of the things that really has helped me over the last number of years is learning a concept of theology that's very lost in the Western church. It's big in the Eastern church. It's starting to appear in the West again, generalizations, but is the idea of kenosis, right? Truly starting to understand that concept, which we find in Philippians when Paul writes about, you know, Christ taking on the body of a servant and emptying himself. Right. And learning what self-donation means, learning how to empty of your ego, uh, of that need for conflict. Learning how to just let shit go. Because you aren't God. You have no idea what's happening. You'll never have an idea what's happening. And just learning how to give yourself to others.
0: That's well, what kenosis, uh, I'm not familiar with that term.
1: Yeah, you'll find that in Philippians. The uh, Greek word is, what is it, kenoi, canoe. Yeah, I can't even spell it right in a second. But yes, it's in okay. Philippians there.
3: Okay.
1: Um, when yeah, Paul talks of Christ emptying himself. So if if the creator of everything is willing to empty himself to bring restoration through relationship, maybe we should start learning how to give of ourselves, learning how to self-donate, how how to give up power and control, learning how to in other language how to decolonize even ourselves.
0: Is this a ego death style? Yeah. Uh, yeah? Okay. I gotcha. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And I think, yes, there is some, uh, there seems to be quite a bit of traction there actually Um, just over the last five years that that concept is really coming, coming around. Um, You know, you hear it a lot and it, yeah, I think without that, and that is a very difficult thing to do without, you know, know, like uh, psychogenic drugs will could help uh, get you to that state in a hurry sometimes, but Uh, doing it without drugs, uh, yeah, that's that's very very high level stuff.
3: Oh yeah,
1: but again, it's really it's we have so many, we have a lot of hurdles to get over. But we have to start really if we want to be effective in the church, we got to start separating like world ideas from scripture ideas much with more haste. You yeah, know, yeah. everything from you know nationalism or patriotism stuff. You know, to faulty, deficient theologies, um, really learning how to let go of stuff that really, at the end of the day, doesn't matter. Because when we, especially in the church, when we're doing theology and we're trying to tell people how to be a good Christian, it's it's like almost like you're a three-year-old trying to develop quantum mechanic theories with a crayon. Like we're trying to deal with things we have no concept of trying to control. Like we've just got to let let it go. Let it go. What What do you have to do? Take care of the person in front of you. Mm-hmm. And that's it. That just ends there.
2: Yeah. <laughs> that is the spiritual practice.
1: Yes. Yeah. But that is kenosis. That is that is learning how to move with the body uh, of Christ. It's learning how to move with the Trinity better. It's just don't have an agenda.
0: This is the logos.
1: Yes. It's a big part of that. Yeah.
0: Yes.
1: Yeah. It's just, I don't know. Just keep it simple.
0: <laughs> yeah. It, 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 I, I see... Uh, you know, just to to throw in here, just a lot of people uh, in our, our culture who are very involved in the church are involved on a, on this level where they're, they're getting a lot of comfort out of whatever they have gleaned from the experience of either going to church, that community or reading the Bible, whatever it is, but that's kind of it. And it's, yeah. it's just kind of a, a comforting thing. And I, I think that's, that's good and that's fine. But to me, that's, that's very much kind of like just the tip of the iceberg as far as what's available, Mm -hmm. you know, if you, if you want to really get into it, but I suppose people should be allowed that too. If they're, I mean, if it, if it brings them comfort and as long as they're, yeah, it's hard to say.
1: Yeah. You got to make space for it. But again, it goes back to something we were talking about earlier with language, right? Do you want to start making some real indelible impressions by doing something simple, but that will revolutionize everything around you? You know, a really simple thing to do, especially in positions of being us white males. You want to know how to change your community like, and really start flipping the switch really easy. I mean, if Christ is important in your life, as a Christian male, I want to see one thing that starts to just deconstruct a lot of the crappy baggage is when you're engaging with each other, in public or in private, just tell each other you love you. Yeah. <laughs> like as, yeah. As, as remedial and like hippie as that sound. No, it's, it's that way.
0: Yeah. No, it's, never, it's something.
1: Never neglect that. You want to transform a world? Start doing yeah. that. That freaks yeah. out everybody.
0: Yeah. No, I got some. I, well, uh, one of my buddies is trying to call me right now. And he'd, he's the type of guy that that's, uh, that's how we end our conversations. We haven't seen mm-hmm. each other for a long time. But that's, that takes a le- especially with guys, right? That takes like a level of maturity where you're, you've been through some shit um, usually and and you've gotten to a place where you're like, dude, I, you know, but on a universal level, yeah, I think that could, uh, that could be pretty helpful.
1: Oh, it's, it's unbelievably transformative. Those little things, those little seemingly like, I guess, innocuous kind of things, these mundane things. We don't have big answers, but if we can learn how to start being just vulnerable, Humble, meek. That. So if you're going out for coffee at Starbucks with Corey, make sure you hug him. And so <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not. I'm, I know. Oh. I know. It sounds ridiculous. You hug him and you say, "I love you," yeah. And you finish the conversation. Yeah. The impact that has on a room of fifty to seventy people,
3: mm-hmm.
1: and you don't have to have an agenda. It's yeah. actually being vulnerable, a bit of maturity, but more importantly, honest. Yes. Stop hiding. Be transparent. Yeah, yeah. You want to see how your world just starts to just change with that? Like, it's huge. It is so huge. It's unbelievable because that's, you know, what I do with most of the folks in my life, mm. if not the majority. Men yeah. and women, whatever. Just being yeah. honest about it.
0: Yeah, that's uh, that's awesome. That's a really
1: so like cool with the piece of advice. Podcast, example, that's what happens with the event when, when I'm going for our community dinners or outreach. It's normal for a lineup of people to form, that all they want to hear is, I love you, and tell me they love me, and give me a hug.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And lives are transformed. Mm. Communities are transformed. Like, literally, there's instant fruit. Right. Instant. And it wasn't because they've lined up to a theological idea, or they haven't lined up to a societal idea. You know, like today, I think I've received, I think, three or four phone calls just for people calling to say they love me. And that's normal. It's just mm-hmm. bad. Men and women, whatever, homeless, not like. Actually, I got a call this morning from a buddy of mine. I haven't talked to in six months. He's homeless, and he just called up because we haven't talked in a few months. Yeah, and that's all he wanted to say is like, I'm getting better, and I just wanted to say I miss you and I love you, and we'll talk soon.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's a tough one for guys. When I turned thirty, I mean, you start to grow up a little bit, and then certainly after you know 35, 40, it, And it wasn't I wasn't the first guy to to be vulnerable like that, but I've uh, I've got a really good buddy who. You know, he's just that type of guy. He mm-hmm. naturally is like that. He has no, that's one of the things I like about him because he, he's he got no, He he's just shameless. You know, he's yeah. not afraid of what anyone thinks and he just speaks his mind. And uh, yeah. it could be like really uncomfortable sometimes. And sometimes it's really cool, but.
1: Um, yeah. No, I, I mean, I struggle with it all the time. Like it's not, it doesn't come easy for me
0: mm-hmm. at
1: all. Like, it's a willful choice to make these things. But I, like me, I've got, like you were saying, Nathan, I've got a friend just like that. He, like, every day, I love (laughs) you. Got it. I got it. Can we stop this? It's freaking me out. Like, it's just, because, again, I'm not a saint. Like, I'm, by no means am I comfortable (laughs) with this. But I know the value
3: in it.
0: (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm, Yeah. Self-donation, right? Yeah. But it, but it's, again, those, you want to change how people view addicts, or you feel, view people with mental health issues, or, Whatever, pick your social problem, encounter them that way. Again, hundred percent. What you find in the scripture? Greet each other in love, right? It's it's what it says right there on the page. It's it's been there for you know thousands of years. So maybe there's something we can glean from that.
0: Yeah, humans love to overcomplicate. It's a
2: tough one.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So Ward, yeah. I've got a, a curveball for you. Then when you hear the the news story of last week of the of the RCMP officer being killed in Burnaby in the homeless encampment, yeah. which is something that, that you know, brings fear right to the, right to the faces, right to the forefront of the conversation for a lot of people brings it back mm-hmm. to fear. If you look at the mayoral race in Vancouver, the candidate, the one in Vancouver kind of used fear as a, as a tactic of his platform and, and got in uh, by saying that I'm going to bring in a hundred new police officers into Vancouver. How do we bring it back to love in that discussion?
1: One at a time, one person at a time, right? Because that's one of the things the, the system still thinks that fear is the great way to do things, right? You know, as a tragic uh, a system, tragic event has happened, but if you go in with softness, gentleness, we got to find ways to do that, and it's not as it's not overly simple. But we've had cases in history. I remember, if you do remember. um the incident when Roy was ba- beanbagged and stuff just because he was being Roy. He had mental health issues. Mm-hmm. Every cop knew him, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And they went in with an iron fist and complicated his system, a system, a situation, I should say, when with Roy, all you would have had to say is, do you want a French vanilla coffee? Yeah. We have to find human connectivity, find these ways to connect. And, I'm sh- you know, it's unfortunate that this, this officer had to die. It's horrible. It's bad in every regard. But it it does highlight some of the way deficiencies in our way that we are approaching these issues on both sides. Yes, right, and yes. so we need to find. I know it sounds ridiculous. I, know, I I feel I feel like such a hippie all the time, but it's finding these more loving responses. So you know, you go into a situation because I mean, I've had no shortage of hostile encounters in the work I've done uh, in doing ministry. I mean, I I can I can so many times where people have. I had an incident a number a few years back of what it was. Again, times irrelevant to me. It's all the same. But I'm sitting in my car at Jubilee Park one night, and we were just about to do outreach, and some guy who I had never met before, homeless guy, and this stuff's has happened to me many times, just jumps in my vehicle with a knife, holds it to my throat. I'm going to kill you and slash your throat. Right? And I'm like, okay, but do you want a coffee first? <laughs> and he's like, yeah. And then we went from there. <laughs> and that's happened to me many times. Not just once, (laughs) but
3: many times. Uh, That's me. I'm
1: not expecting everybody to do that. I get that. But mm. how do we find softer ways? We don't always have to use a fist. You know, like when a cop shows up, particularly when you're traumatized, because if you're on the streets, odds are you were beaten, molested, raped, or psychologically destroyed. Odds are great that that's why you're there. Yeah. And somebody shows up, and all they ha- are projecting is an image of control, domination, and violence. What are you creating, right? So maybe we have to find other ways. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's time that we start looking at softer approaches.
0: Yeah. yeah. You'd think right. that that would have been something that was inv- you know, invested in a little more heavily at this mm-hmm. point.
1: And, um, and I'm sure they were taught about how to control your body language and how to be, you know, stuff like that. I'm sure that was there, but something more has to happen because this is all we're seeing is violence after violence after violence. It's
0: yeah, well, tough. the police have it tough uh, in that they're showing up from a uh, uh, an assumed stance of authority. They've got the uniform. They're easy to pick out. I mean, it, it sets off the us-them mentality immediately, especially yes. if you've got somebody who's got problems with authority, which many, again, of those marginalized people are going to have. So yeah, I don't know. I think there probably is a a way to do it that that would be much safer and more productive for everybody. But yeah,
1: yeah, it's tough. There's no right answer. There's no like immediate answer comes to my, my mind. But it's really we have to find something a little some more gentleness to to everything because I mean the cops themselves are they're screwed over exponentially. There's no doubt about that. I was just talking to a cop the other day, you know and. She's saying that something like 80% of the calls in Abbotsford are just these mental health homelessness issues. Almost 80% or something like that. It's like ridiculously high. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Cops aren't social workers. No. Right. We've heard that a thousand times. Mm -hmm. Okay. But if we're going to keep putting them in those situations, maybe we start training them to be then.
0: Or send one with them or. yeah.
1: yeah. Well, they do that already to a certain degree. But again, again, it comes back with those arguments about police training. Do we start doing like, you know, you have to get a bachelor's degree in all these kind of things before you go out in the streets. Yeah. Which is better yeah. for them and for the community. It really is.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: I think anyway, because I mean, most cops, unfortunately, my experience and and I have lots of experience with police, professionally and uh, privately. Typically, the police come in just to demonstrate force. Mm. Right. Like, I'm shutting this down. Well, how about we find something? Is there a middle way?
0: Yeah. Yeah yeah maybe there could be uh especially when you're i mean this can't be cost effective in any way shape or form and uh obviously yeah. it's a, a complex problem but we'll yeah. we'll throw a, we got a couple of questions for you that are a little not lighter but different i guess <laughs> <laughs> yeah um so we're talking the the seven deadly sins here and yeah. we we're just wondering what you think is you know, if you had to pick one or two that are giving us the most trouble right now in Western society, what would you say, and why?
1: Well, again, it goes back to the fear stuff. Fear first—that's the biggest sin that we have. Everything is a byproduct, right? Sloth is a byproduct of fear. Ego is—you know—pride of—they're you know, all fear-based. So, is learning that's how not to get played. Yeah. It's, it's fear, fear, fear. At the end of the day, it's just fear learning how to manage that learning how to address that all these other things will just fade they will if we learn how to live with greater trust in the trinity within with christ greater trust in being vulnerable these things will just fall away again i know it's it's easier to said than done but it's learning learning how to like i was saying uh when you're in a coffee shop learning how to embrace your male friends
0: yes that I've...
1: act of fear just knocks away pride it knocks away arrogance it knocks away just you name it like it just starts to fade Yeah. and what did you intentionally do other than i'm going to be genuinely kind
0: yeah it's the important for a long time i didn't understand there was a piece that was missing And I think it wasn't until I understood the value of vulnerability and actively going out and making myself look silly or, or doing something to put me in a position that, that makes me, you know, that knocks me down a peg because I'm, I'm just designed in such a way that I, my inner rhetoric uh, rhetoric can get going. And I'll be walking around thinking that, uh, it's my, my ego can get out of control quickly. And if I, but if I actively do things like that, like what you're suggesting, and and really work at it, it becomes a skill. Yeah. You know where you're. You're like you know. I I asked myself at the end of the day, what what did you do that was uh, that made you feel vulnerable? Or
1: yeah, and I would say more than anything, it's not even that it would develop a skill. It's actually making you the human you should be. Yeah. That we all need to be right because yeah, that's the important part about the story of Christ is we always. Tend to in Western theology, we spiritualize everything. We don't mm-hmm. ground it in humanness. We need to ground this in humanness. And so, once we are truly human, is to truly love. That is what we are made to do. We don't function without love. Humans don't. We just die. That's science. That's truth. That's fact. Loneliness mm-hmm. is like smoking five packs of cigarettes or whatever they say, right? Yeah. It, like it will kill you. So, it's not about being. Skill, it, it's like a skill because we have to hone it to a certain degree, but the reality is it makes us really human. It chips away at the bullshit that we've put on because our families told us to, or our culture told us to, or our society, our religion, whatever. Pick the person that told you that this is the way to do it, or thing that told you to do it, and realize that these movements are what makes us whole. It helps us enter to the with the dance of being human, the dance with each other, Mm -hmm. right? The paracritic movement, right? The theological idea of moving together in harmony, in equity, equality, and mutual humanness. Because Mm -hmm. there is not a single thing on this planet breathing that is human that doesn't have the exact same needs. Everybody has the exact same needs. And we're just constantly in denial. We're constantly trying to find excuses. If we can find a way to just take these steps to throw our asses off the edge of being honest and finding our humanity shit will just naturally get better it will just happen yeah no five year yeah. plan no strategy
0: yeah i believe you i believe you i believe that that is uh that is true and that, that doesn't, doesn't make know. it any easier
1: <laughs> no no it does not <laughs> no but again it goes back to what i was saying earlier our language will shape us what we say, what we declare as our truths make us what we are. So if we're an arrogant prick who thinks I'm just defined by the fact that I can press 300 pounds and I can, I'm can, i defined by my job or I'm defined by what I own and that's all you talk about, what the hell do you think you're going to become? But if you're talking like a, a, as an individual who says I'm defined by love and I'm defined by vulnerability, I'm defined by honesty, that I want to be the best human I can be, What's what's going to happen? There's there's two different things. You're either going to be walking around with you know like an arrogant prick, or you're going to be someone who's able to transform the world just by being present in a healthy
2: way. Yeah, man.
0: And I depend. <laughs> I, I guess it, it it matters what your priorities are and what stage of life you're at. But uh,
1: I, I yeah. think I don't even think that. I think if you want leadership, that's how you do it.
0: Oh no, I I agree right? like, that that's the the correct method. I think it's a tough for some people. It's a tough sell, you know. If you're if you've got somebody who's bought heavily into uh, like materialism or something like that, uh, and or is very uh, laden with power, uh, it's you know it's difficult to get them to let that go. I think
1: it, it can be. It is a time consuming. It doesn't happen overnight. But again, my experiences have shown me that if you just you choose to be that expression, it will erode people. Like, I can't even tell you. I mean, I have countless people who have come into the ministry over the years as volunteers who were well off upper middle class or whatever. And their view on, you know, the homeless was, um, a very downward looking view, right? I'm here to rescue this piece of shit. Mm -hmm. And, you know, six months to a year in with five and two, and they're realizing, "Oh, I, I'm that piece of shit too." <laughs> and we need the exact same thing. We just need to be present with each other, to hear each other, to love each other the best that we can, together.
0: Yeah, that connectivity and, again, yeah.
1: Yeah, it goes back to there's a mutual engagement, a mutual education that doesn't does occur that does just naturally starts to chip away. Some people will take forever. Some people will happen quickly, but I've seen it thousands of times. Thousands. You know, there's people in our in political circles in Abbotsford who came to the 5 and 2, say, 10 years ago. And they were like, eh, stupid homeless people. I hate them out. They're just taking everything. they get. You know, just negative. Fine. I get it. I understand. I can see how you see that. I, no problem. I get it. Not going to argue. I can see how that view is. But now just sit down and have coffee with this guy. And, and do that once a week. Or once a month for a few years. And at the Mm. end of it, 100% on board with that way of living. I get Mm. it now. And now you're an advocate. You know, like it might take a couple of years, it might take a few years, but they get there. I have yet to see someone who hasn't.
2: (laughs) Uh, Story, Corey, I cut you off there. Mm. No, no, I'm glad we kept it it rolling. And this kind of fits. What -hmm. was coming to mind for me in, in the conversation board was also shame and thinking about how shame is a driver of some of these sins if you will or human you know hurtful harmful human behaviors that shame is often at the root of that and and it's also at the root of addiction in many cases i think so knowing that vulnerability is now looked at as sort of a curative thing for for shame that once you kind of speak your truth and, and let that secret out and let whatever it is release it how do you um I guess how do you see that in looking at Abbotsford as as a community that has at one time had more churches per capita is than anywhere else in Canada is that even is that talked about and I ask this with a certain amount of naivety that like is shame even a discussion in in the average church
1: No I don't think it is. I don't think we talk enough about that. But shame is part of all shame closes our window of tolerance, right? It closes our ability to be available. It's contributing to that. Yeah. And so we need to find people who are cognizant of these deficiencies and they will help open windows, right? Because we have this drive within the Western mindset that we need to find quick solutions. And I am a hundred percent wishing we could right, all the time, but it's, the few folks that realize these things like shame are there or fear is driving us or pick it, pick one thing. And those of us who are aware of that, find ways to help people open their windows of tolerance so they can move away from those ideas. And it does not happen quickly, unfortunately,
3: no matter yeah. how much
1: we would like to. Um, Cause that's kind of our Western thing. We need an answer. We need it now, right? We need the three steps to success. And I'm, I'm there. And here's my TikTok video for it. No, yep. we, we need to be just consistent. We need to commit ourselves, those who are aware. And it's not that we're arrogant or better or anything like that. It's just we know that shame is a problem, for example. So how do we help people overcome that as an individual? How do I enter into a community where I can help people liberate shame? pain? How can I help people realize what that's doing to them and to everyone around them? Mm -hmm. Right, It goes back to that simple loving our way out of it thing. And because trauma closes people's windows, suffering closes people's window of tolerance to everything in life and living and loving, those of us who have um, unfortunately or fortunately stumbled into these ideas, into these uh, liberating truths, how do we make them a daily thing that we, we can take charge of for all of us. And that's and that's the thing. Like We, we, we are not going to change society with passing of new legislation, developing new policy. That may come. That might be a piece of it. But it's the second, third, or fourth piece of it. Mm-hmm. The first piece is I know that a person struggling with homelessness and addiction, the thing they need most is not a moral lesson or an evangelism outreach thing. What they need is somebody to sit with them, look them in the eye, Hold their hand when they're crying and struggling and that window starts to open for them and they can start to feel alive they can start to feel movement towards their full humanness and then that just trickles down right like you know mercy runs like a river you know verse stuff like in micah and amos all that stuff about how justice rolls on that's how it happens Hmm. it just it just does it's the magic formula of what caring for people actually does.
2: Yeah.
1: Right. I, I don't know if that answers your question well, but that's, that's
2: the trajectory <laughs> it i It, it I, does. It yeah. does for sure.
0: I don't think you, know, you could come up with a better sorry. answer
2: than that. Ward, <laughs> like I, I think too about, and again, this is maybe a bit of a sidetrack, but while we're there, like, I think about what is happening with truth and reconciliation in our country and that, The, the indigenous communities within our country are doing a courageous, remarkable job of releasing their shame and releasing Mm -hmm. their pain. And then I think about the priests who were at the, who were behind the abuse. Mm -hmm. And I wonder about their shame and like, is anything being done to release the shame within the church about that? Like, isn't that the other side of truth and reconciliation?
1: Well, most definitely, but I think, again, it goes back to like what I was just saying, is that those acts of love within the Indigenous community will, for lack of a less hippie way of saying it, will melt the hardened hearts. Yeah. It will start opening those doors and windows to new ways. You know, it's not going to be overnight. Good God, that's going to take... I wouldn't even want to calculate how long that's going to take. But I have found that if you just... You know, be that light in the darkness,
3: <laughs>
1: mm. and the more candles that join you, right? Everything will fade away. These these these
3: mm-hmm.
1: these bad things just seem you to know, just take care of themselves in in, in a way, right? It's um because I mean the indigenous community is really speaking towards some of the stuff that i I've, I've been mentioning is that it's together, it's their togetherness. Yeah. That is bringing the the healing. Yeah, right. It's it's, it's they're trying to love their way through a shitstorm. Yeah. So, what if we all tried to join in a way to find a way to love through this collective shitstorm we're in?
0: Yeah, and go against the training that we've received since day one, which is exactly. go out there and do it yourself.
1: Yeah, exactly. Because nobody, yeah. nobody's gonna. You know, that's a big problem when it comes with addictions and homelessness and all the related social issues. What's the regular normative response in any form of a media whatsoever? Communication is, go to the government for help. Somebody else is going to fix this.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: No dipshit. Only you are going to change this. Mm. You accepting the fact that you've got to find a loving way to deal with this with other folks. Together, we need to love our way out of this. Right. Right a new Sorry. policy is not going to help whatsoever cuz it sure as fuck hasn't helped yet no, no. <laughs> well,
0: that's uh that's a good point yeah <laughs> huh.
1: and this is i mean it's the thing it's like we keep trying to find you know safer ways where we're not vulnerable we're like if we can make a machine that'll yes. take care of this it'll be no It's going to be you waking up in the morning going, I'm not going to be such a raging asshole and define myself by me and what I think is right. No, it's going to be waking up in the morning going, I'm going to find a way to love every asshole I encounter, (laughs) including myself. Mm -hmm. And we're going to get better. We are, you know, and this is what history has taught us. All our great leaders and mystics and saints and heroes have always said the exact same thing. But we can't. We just can't seem to collectively get on that page all the time, right? It's, it's very frustrating. It's um, one of my, my all-time favorite saints of all time. I've never found a, a better way of expressing how to heal the world. And then St. Teresa, uh, St. Teresa of La Su- Um, she wrote a book called The Story of a Little Soul. And the gist of that is how do you change the world? How do you, how do you help people? How do you serve Christ? You just sit at his feet and you throw flowers. Small, beautiful acts, and that's it. And the windows of tolerance open. Shame falls away. Fear falls away. Racism, prejudice, bigotry, patriarchy, colonism, it all will fall away if we could just learn how to do those type of things. Nothing else will work. Nope. Not at all. Well said. And I'm not, I'm convinced. I mean, think of how all those, it was always the little acts that seemed to have changed history so profoundly, you know, like Gandhi, you know, with the, with the British rule, what did he do? He went for a walk with his friends.
3: Yeah. You know, that's a a great
1: example. You know, Rosa Parks, she sat on a bench. Mm. MLK went for some walks, you know, (laughs) it's, it's these little things that make such a difference, you know, it's an overgeneralization in a sense but it's that simplicity
0: no I trying it,
1: to find humanity together
0: it's important because uh I think especially in western culture we're always looking like you say for either the quick fix or we tend to look at things from a big picture uh top down you know how do we solve everything at once type mm-hmm. of uh view and and we forget about how powerful little acts like that can be
1: yeah, it's never been anything else in history. Who was it that said it, right? It's just the, the groups of small people that make big changes. It's always been that way. Ooh, I'm mm-hmm. going to quote that question. But, you know, for example, like we're struggling with housing, right? Surprise, Western, well, global problem. Mm-hmm. Okay, here's here's an idea. I want to talk about a simple act of rebellion, but it's also at the same time very loving. We look at a churches or temples uh in in, in Abbotsford, for example. They have acreage, some of these places. They got Huge-ass lots. Mm -hmm. How about one of these big-ass churches builds a couple tiny homes on a weekend, and we put them on the back corner of that parking lot, and then that homeless senior who is 70 years old and living in her car instantly has a home and a support network. Yeah. What does that cost anybody? What, the government's going to go, tear that down? No, no, they're not. They're, no. they're going to—they may bark for a couple seconds like a chihuahua, but that's that's about it.
2: Yeah, I've often wondered that. So, what's stopping them, Ward? What do you think? What do you think stops them?
1: Fear. <laughs> they're going to lose their jobs. They're going to re- lose their their, their standings. They'll, yeah. they'll, they'll 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 cower too quickly, right?
0: Yeah, something will happen. Yeah. There'll be some incident. Uh, yeah. There'll be a, a legal issue. That's you know you or hear the magic word.
1: Uh, the magic word in church is liability. <laughs>
0: Yes, yeah, liability.
1: We're liable, yeah. we're liable. We're liable. We mm. run. A, we ran a homeless shelter. We're still are running our our homeless shelter. Uh, we're what I don't know. Year three now. Uh, but for the first two years, we ran a homeless shelter, the first of its kind in BC, uh, for older adults, 55 plus. That's the first time that's ever happened. It's the first uh, age adult restricted shelter ever. We ran that for two years above a preschool. Did you know what? Nobody in the preschool knew we even existed. <laughs> You do yeah. it right. You do it with love, and things happen.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it. I mean, it takes you. It takes courage, and you're stepping out into the unknown. And and uh, as we discussed, that's that's it, right? That's a well, challenge.
1: It is. I mean, we need to learn how to see each other equally because we are all, like I said, all broken. We all need the same things, which is, you know, love. We need to be cared for. We need to feel safe. There's nobody on this planet. Living, who doesn't have the exact same needs mm-hmm. at mm-hmm. all. So how do we achieve that? How do we do that? Let's just start there. That will change things. That really, really will. You know, I've history tells me that. Life experience tells me that. I don't see any other path forward. I mean, yeah,
0: yeah. No. Trying
1: violent methods. What does it do? It perpetuates more violence.
0: Yeah, that we know. We've got enough evidence. How are you doing, Ward?
1: No, I'm just fine. I can talk for hours. I got
0: a problem with that. <laughs> All right, <laughs> like um, Dylan
1: said, right? Know your song well before you start singing it, right? So I've been doing this a while.
0: <laughs> well, you've you've done a pretty good job at uh, going over. I think you mowed through most of our questions here. We do have one more thing there. Just uh, it's an interesting term that I've heard you use before. I think it was on a, a news interview or something, and it's uh, slacktivism. Can you describe what that is for our listeners?
1: Well, that's just jumping on the hottest trend and making a video about it, right? It's it's about exploiting things for self, you know, and that is even more so than when I first started talking about that. Look, about, Go on TikTok or oh, go yeah. on Instagram, go on Facebook, any social media. There is so much of that now. You find a homeless person, you give them 10 bucks, and you make a big epic video about this. Oh, wow. you know, this all this kind of charity porn and this... This I'm gonna just be involved in an issue for a few weeks thing or a couple days just so I I feel important and I see it's bullshit
3: yeah all it's doing
1: it's it's, it's it's you know it's it's one of the biggest problems with the church because the church in the Western world does so much of it it's it's basically spiritual masturbation right it just feels right. real good but they ain't producing any fruit
0: yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> right <laughs> it's, it's gotta uh... be especially insulting for a guy who's been in the trenches for near 20 years and then you see uh uh, yeah
1: and i see it every year right like because around this time of year which we're entering the christmas season and every year i can't tell you how many people like so many people in churches and other agencies and groups call me up and they're like i want to pet a homeless person and feed them cookies can you help us (laughs) i'm like yeah no (laughs) 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 go find someplace else because there's (laughs) so much of that he's like my church made 50 cookies and we'd like to hand them out. I'm like, yeah, no, thanks. Wow. I know exactly what this is. It's Cause it's just <laughs> that, you know, exercises huh. for you. <laughs>
3: yeah.
1: I, I've, I've witnessed some of the most ludicrous things from the church over the years with things like, you know, the, the uh, drive by prayer groups and stuff like that. So I'll be sitting at a homeless camp and then a um, church van pulls up and 50 Christians jump out and they're like, can we pray for you? And they start praying for everybody. And it was like, what the fuck's happening? And they jump back in the van and drive away. Drive-by prayer
0: group.
1: <laughs> oh, it's like, it's epic, right? Like, I'm uh, like, really? Wow. I'm like, I don't know these people. <laughs>
0: yeah. Huh, right? I've like, never heard of such a thing.
1: Oh, it's unreal, the stuff that happens. Like, uh, even like when we were in Jubilee, that was a thing for a lot of times, was we'd have groups out there wanting to do evangelism. So they'd go, hey, can we come to the 5 and 2 event and hand out tracks and, and stuff like that? And I'm like, no, go away.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: People don't need your little glossy trifold brochure that they're going to burn in hell for something. What they need is you just to sit there and hang out, yeah. <laughs> Build a relationship, or just go away, yeah. Right? Like I, I just have huh. little tolerance for that. Very little.
0: <laughs> no, that's that's fascinating. Yeah, I, I can't even imagine that such a thing would exist. But
1: oh, it's crazy. I mean, that's. I mean, you talk to any nonprofit, right? It's this time of year. They mm-hmm. get their glut of stuff in November, December, and that's what's supposed to carry them for the year because everyone's got to feel good. And mm-hmm. there's a place for some of that. I'm, I'm not wholly against it because, you know, there's kids who are like raise 50 bucks in pop bottles and you want to encourage some of that stuff. But mm-hmm. when you've got organized church stuff going, this year's our cookie night and we're going to bring out hot chocolate and we're going to go to you to do it. How about you just go and meet your neighbors and leave me alone?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I find that a little bit strange. I You would think they just just... Uh... You know, go present, like, why do they need you to get involved? They want you to be a buffer?
1: Pretty much. You have no yeah. idea how many, much of a time I'm a buffer. I get calls from churches on a regular basis, you know, like the secretary at large churches or something like, we have homeless people outside our building. Would you come by and have them remove them for us? Or could oh. you bring us? I'm like, yeah, no, you exist to deal with this shit.
3: Right. <laughs> this is yeah. your purpose. <laughs> huh. Interesting. Oh, that
1: is so normative, like unbelievably normal. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All the time. And this is like, I want to burn your building down. But <laughs> <laughs> well, we're not allowed to do that. <laughs> no, no. But, yeah, but the, the thought crossed your mind from time to time.
0: <laughs> well, we're you know? only human.
1: Yeah. Well, but that's the thing is I don't I don't take kindly to those excuses, especially from when in church, you know, it's like, you know, there's a family here and they've got their you know, I'll get a call from a church, and like, we have a family of six here, and they need groceries. This church has a budget of like, you know, three hundred grand a week, and the five and two, you know, a few years ago, it was maybe at best a hundred grand a year. Mm-hmm. Can you feed them? Yeah, no, you, you, you go buy them groceries.
3: Mm-hmm, yeah. There's
1: no other purpose behind the church than to be a community center and take care of people.
0: Yeah, yeah, oh, it's God. it's it's a strange thing. Mm-hmm. I don't uh, like keeping the. I don't think it used to be that way with churches in the winter or at any time really churches used to be open you know there'd be maybe there'd be somebody there and I understand that it's problematic to have your church open all the time but you would think that uh, during the colder weather and stuff like that it might be a decent idea to have <laughs> people in there but
1: yeah good luck with that
0: <laughs> yeah no i've 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 asked churches about it just out of curiosity and uh because i've been you know i've been approached by uh, people who are members of the church and they'd want to discuss stuff like this. And I, that's one of the things I ask is how come that's not a thing and liability. It'll be the liability. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah,
3: Always the
1: liability. It's so ridiculous. Oh, really? You want like, everybody doesn't have to be serving like meth heads. I'm not saying that like everybody raging in addiction, mm. but every single building that says church on it is supposed to be following christ its first and foremost purpose should be a 24-hour community center
0: yeah so
1: if that's in a middle class neighborhood or a lower class neighborhood whatever it is gathering place end of story i mean how Mm. many churches in abbas are just i've done this before i've gone online and been bored and gone through church schedules you know, and we're looking at these gigantic churches and they might have thirty hours a month in programs for the community. Maybe.
3: Mm-hmm, yeah.
1: If you're lucky. You want to transform your communities, be community centers. Put on a pot of coffee. Make some finger sandwiches. And go from there. You yeah. know?
0: Yeah. Well, Again. I mean, you're you're doing a great job of uh like I said, you're practicing what you preach. It's it appears to be a rare thing. And That's uh what I hear yeah and uh i gotta thank you for coming on been just informative and uh it gives me hope <laughs> you know sorry about that yeah 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 <laughs> Yeah, i'll be angry about it later but for now yeah. i feel good
1: well i would recommend if you get a chance i know it's a big ask but um if you've run across my thesis because i finished my master's and back in april mm-hmm. um a lot of these key issues are addressed in, in there, looking at kenosis, looking at humility. If you get a chance, I'd recommend just taking a gander. It's, it's Most people say it's a heavy read, <laughs> and I'm sorry for that, but I use big words. Um,
0: I like the stuff that's got some impact to it.
2: Do you, yeah, Ward, no, how can, how can sure. people find it?
1: Yeah. Uh, Google my name, and then probably just, oh, where would I do that? Maybe I could send you a link, and it might be easier.
0: Is it on the 5 and 2? Website? No, it's
1: it's uh, uh, right now it's hosted on academia.edu. Okay.
0: okay.
1: Yeah. They can um, my name, you'll find my thesis, which is about the annuim.
0: Okay. Yeah. And if people want to uh, contribute or help you guys out in any way with uh, funds and stuff like that, can they do that through your website?
1: Yeah, I think those are working. We okay. don't pay much attention to that stuff, but yes, it's probably working.
0: <laughs> okay, so that's the five and two. Uh, that's the ca okay yeah yeah all yeah. right did you have any more questions uh cory or should we let this guy go back to his business
2: yeah no <laughs> I, I think you've answered everything um and then some and mm-hmm. you've certainly given me a lot to go away and think about and in, you've actually given me a, a clearer understanding of some of the root questions that we had for you and that we've had in this whole podcast over the last year almost so it, it's um really appropriate that you're that you joined us today and I'm, I'm grateful that you were able to. So thanks. Yeah, yeah. The timing is good.
1: Well, no, thank you guys. It was a good chat. Like, you know, if, if anything else comes up, if you have any questions, please never hesitate. I have no problem yattering on forever about this stuff because I honestly don't do anything else. I I, I don't do anything else but this.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, we might take you up on that then because uh, yeah, lots of stuff to talk about, but uh Thank you yeah. very much once again, and uh, best of luck down there. Yeah, and well, thank you guys. Uh, I'm sure love we'll love you. Uh, love you. Yeah, there you go.
3: <laughs> love you too.
1: Taking <laughs> the <Thank laughs> you time because these issues really do need to be talked about as much more. But again, you want your listeners to know that's the important thing. Stop looking for everybody else to answer these. It's you. You've got to
0: yeah. figure out how to do this. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Well said.